Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Max Ferguson plays second base for the Tennessee Vols baseball team, who plays this afternoon at 2 o'clock in the College World Series. Go Vols. Um, one thing I've noticed him do, and, and, and the rest of the team as well, anytime there's a left-handed batter up to, to, to the plate for the opposing team, he usually backs up 20 to 30 feet into the grass, or into the synthetic turf at UT, for that matter, if they're playing there. He's 20, 30 feet back into the grass, and depending on the scouting report of that hitter, whether he hits to the left or the right, he'll play more behind second base and more toward first base. And what I've noticed in his positioning is almost every time he's spot on. He takes away a lot of line drive hits that would otherwise be in play and, and be a safe base hit because he's in the right position. Now, his t- coaches have told him to do that. He doesn't do that totally on his own, I know, but... He's positioned right to be able to make the play. As I thought about this Father's Day, I thought, I wonder if dads are in the position to see the things we need to see in this culture and in, in this world. If we positioned ourselves relationally, socially, spiritually in a place that um, causes us to see and understand what's going on around us and maximize it and maximize our influence in, as a part of that. So. I'm going to talk about four, four different positions today. We're going to be uh, in, in various scriptures, so they'll be on the screen if you can't get there quick enough in your Bible, but uh, try and find them in the Word as well on your own. The first is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 24, where we're going to seek to find ourselves in a position that's side by side with your spouse. Side by side with your spouse. Let's look at this text. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Suitable is a key word. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed him up, uh, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It's not good for man to be alone. We started that text with, I'll make a helper suitable for him. The reason it's not good for man to be alone is most of us guys on our own don't make great decisions. And we think we are invincible from the consequences of those decisions, uh, but that's seldom the case. We're not invincible. We have to pay the consequences for a lot of decisions we make, good and bad. And, and as, as God seeing that need says, I'll make a helper <clears throat> suitable for him, meaning a helper to fill in the gaps of his weaknesses, a helper to, to fortify the places where he's not so strong, 
a helper that, that fits man perfectly. And that's what woman was designed to do and be. And, uh, meaning a good fit, someone who complements our weaknesses. He called her woman because the prefix woe means taken from man, woman. Uh, he, he takes woman from the side of man instead of from, the, from, his, from, his, from a rib, instead of from his sternum to be ahead of him, instead of from his spine to be behind him, he takes it from the rib so that she is a side partner, side-by-side -side partner with him through life. Uh, Tony Evans, our uh, teacher through the men's Bible study we're doing right now at Men's Breakfast East Month, is really doing a great job but pointed this out this past week that, in fact, use this text, that when, when something is taken from you, you sacrifice for what's been taken. Meaning that woman taken from man is something that man sacrifices himself to give up in order for her to live, for her to have life, for her to be all she is intended to be. So this idea of sacrifice is pivotal to our seeing a side-by-side -side parallel relationship with our spouse, man. We can't do that without sacrifice. A side-by-side -side relationship that doesn't cost you something probably isn't worth much. That's exactly why the divorce rate is as high as it is at 53% across our culture, both inside the kingdom and out. And it's because we're, most men aren't willing to sacrifice what we need. I, I've done a healthy amount of marriage counseling over the years. And um, it, there is never just one side or the other. Uh, but in generally, generally speaking, we are at the divorce rate. We are, and I, I say this in honesty, as well as in judgment of most men. Our divorce rate is as high as what it is because most men, most men aren't willing to sacrifice what it needs to make the marriage work. Or just not. I'm sorry that that's true, but it is. Um, it, it's not to say that all the ladies are squeaky clean all the time, but most men aren't willing to sacrifice the things, the things it takes to hold relationships and marriages together. So how do we get back there? Well, it's really pretty, pretty simple math when you think about it. Less me, more her. It's that simple. Less me and more her. It's what it takes to get back to that place. Uh, that's, that's, I think what he's called us to is this, is this parallel side-by-side -side complementary relationship. And a father that has that is in a position to see that and maximize it. And he's going to honor the Lord in, in a deep way. Secondly, guys, are you positioned shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with other men? Are you positioned shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with, with other men? Let's look at Judges 20, verses 8 to 11. All the men rose up together as one, saying, None of us will go home. Not one of us will return to his house, but now this is what we'll do to Gibeah. We'll go up against it in, order to, uh, in the order decided by casting lots. We'll take 10 men out of every 100 from all the tribes of Israel and 100 from 1,000 and 1,000 from 10,000 to get provisions for the army. Then when the army arrives at Gibeah in Benjamin, it can give them what, what they deserve for this outrageous act done in Israel. So all the Israelites got together and united as one against the city. All the men, he says, rose, rose up together as one. Mike, throw up this next picture. This is a picture that hangs on the wall in my office that, uh, of, of a Promise Keepers event that I attended in, uh, in October of 1997. There was approximately a million men on the mall in Washington, D.C. that day. There's nothing like it. 
Nothing like that I've ever experienced. Still longing for that. Again and again. It was a special time. Um, And we forget to see that men, men of the same mind and of, a, and of a common spirit headed in one direction. I'm sorry. It's a powerful, powerful thing. God uses the collective efforts of men in a, in a powerful way if we'll submit ourselves to him and to each other. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew to preach and share with the surrounding area of Judea. And he sent them out two by two. That was by design. He did that for a reason. We're better together, men. We're, better, we're, we're stronger together. We, are, uh, we can accomplish more together. And we lock arms and hearts together. We were designed to, to walk in, in, in shoulder to shoulder with other men. We need each other. So, God, if there aren't men in your life that are pouring into you, uh, you're the one losing, not them. So seek that. We need each other. We're, we're, we're much better and stronger together. Look at the men get the God's placed around you in your world and see them as assets instead of competitors. See them as, as men that are designed to pour into you and you into them in, in, a, in a consistent and ongoing way. None of them are there by accident. None of them are in your life by accident. Uh, they were designed specifically for you and you there for them that we can walk shoulder to shoulder together with each other. All the men rose up together as one, Judges says. Thirdly, not only are we, should we be positioned to be side by side with our spouse and shoulder to shoulder with other men, but thirdly, I want to ask, are you positioned back-to-back -back with a mentor? Are you positioned back-to-back -back with a mentor? Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. He set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Notice that first that Elijah, the older one, seeks out Elisha, the younger one, uh, meaning that mentorship should never be forced but it's going to be, have to be something. It's usually initiated by the older man who sees uh, someone who, who needs pouring into a little bit, who may have a struggle here and there, and needs, needs somebody to pour into their life. That a, the, a younger man, a, a mentee, usually won't seek that out because most younger guys, and I was this way when I was younger, felt I was invincible. I didn't need anybody or anything else or anyone else. But we desperately do, so it's wiser Oftentimes, that the older seek out the younger because the younger will seldom seek out the older uh, to make that happen. That, that's, it's great if the younger one will, uh, even better, but that's, that seldom happens that way because we think we're invincible. Notice also the sacrifices Elisha makes to join Elijah, uh, to, to follow for him, from him, to learn from him. He walks away from his family. He walks away from his livelihood. He walks away from everything he's known 
to follow after what the God that he sees in, in his, the prophet Elijah. He didn't know at the time that he's one that the mantle is going to be passed to, but he knows that Elijah is, is a godlike man that he wants to follow after and, and learn from and be like. Uh, that's a picture of how important it is to have someone ahead of us, guys, leading us down the path. Someone ahead of us to steer us away from some pitfalls and some hardships that we would otherwise walk into deadpan. But it's, 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 it's good to have someone uh, slightly ahead of us, if not far, further down the road, ahead of us to, to keep us from those places. Um, oftentimes, that mental relationship is for a season. Sometimes it can be a lifetime. Uh, Doc's been a mentor in my life almost my entire life. And it, it can be for a season, it can be for a lifetime, depending, depending on the difference in ages between uh, the mentor and the mentee. But the benefits of a mentor wants you to hear it, are always worth the investment. You think, I don't have time to sit down with some guy. Yes, you do. Make it. It's, it's worth it to, to, to sit down and, and, and have someone pour into you that's seen places you haven't seen yet, been places you haven't been yet. You need to be positioned side by side with a spouse, shoulder to shoulder with other men, and back to back with a mentor. Finally, we need to find ourselves positioned face to face with God. Face to face with God. Back in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 30 says this, the night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face. And my life was spared. I saw God face to face, he says, and my life was spared. Let's notice a couple of things about this encounter with God. First of which <clears throat> is that Jacob was alone. He sent his family over to the other side. He sent all of his possessions over to the other side of the ford of the river. And found himself alone with God and face to face with him as they wrestled all night. We will seldom seldom experience a supernatural encounter until we make time and place for it. That usually seldom happens in, in, in the midst of the mundane, uh, in the midst of, of our normal trappings of life because you're like most, uh, dad, you're like most men, you're, you're, you're kind of wire to wire uh, or you're, this has too much control over our life or work has too much control over our life or whatever, a hobby has too much control over our life. And I want to say that the time invested to get alone with him is, is time well invested over and over and over again until we make time for it. That's never going to happen because here's what's true, guys. God will never compete for your time, ever. He will not compete for your time. He wants you to give that to him and make it available to him. The second thing is this, is not only was Jacob alone, but Jacob stayed at it. He stayed at it. He, he, he was, this, this wrestling was going on between he and God all night long. Uh, an eternal, infinite God will seldom bring you through something in your own time frame. 
Let me say that again. An eternal, infinite God will seldom bring you through a hard place, through something that you're going through that you need help with on your time frame and in your way. Seldom will that happen. You got to stay at it. We just got to stay at it with him because he wants us, to, wants us to see that it is worth it in the end, looking through a longer lens instead of a shorter one. And it's worth it to stay at it, knowing that what is on the other side of, that, of, the, of it, whatever that is, is better than what we were on this side of it. And we'll never get there without some persistence, without uh, enough drive and ambition and motivation to say, I'm not le- like, like uh, uh, Elisha did Elijah, I'm not letting go. And as, as Jacob said here, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go of you. So he, he stays at it. He's tenacious with, uh, tenacious with him. Now, it's usually for a couple of reasons um, why God will not compete for our time. First of all, he wants us to, to learn patience. <laughs> no, don't start praying for patience or anything like that. You're going to get by yourself in a dangerous place. But patience is, a, is such a wise virtue to learn, and we seldom learn it until we're willing to stay at it for a while. We seldom learn this, this concept of patience until we have seen God work and work and work and come through again and again and again. Uh, we, we look at our life circumstances, uh, and sometimes we aren't very patient. We want, well, I've set these kind of goals in my life to be this and become this by this age and this by this age, and that's not happening as quickly as I thought it would or in the way that I thought it would. And God wants to teach us some patience there because, as I said earlier, he wants us to see our life in this world and our life in this world through a much longer lens. I talk about that a lot of looking at life through an eternal lens. It's desperately important, men, as fathers, that we do that because we, can't, we can never effectively lead our family until we're looking through a longer lens. If we're looking through just the immediate needs of today, we seldom see God at work around us in those situations. But when we can see through a longer lens, this takes perspective. That takes perspective. This is far less important than it should have been. Should have been. This is far less important than I've allowed it to be. And our priorities more easily fall into place. We can look at life and look at our relationship with him and with others through a much longer lens. Not only do we learn patience, but we see the hand of God is bigger and deeper and further and around corner after corner after corner waiting on us again and again. Uh, it's, the second thing is that I want to see is what he's working on in us and, and, and working out in us is usually seldom just about us. Usually always involves someone else. Someone else that's perhaps looking from the outside in that we work with, that's a, that's a friend or coworker, a family member, friend, or someone who's directly involved in what we're involved in. And God wants us to see, or God wants them to see in us and how we react and respond to what God's up to, the fact that he is worth waiting on, that his way is better than our way. And so, in fact, I, I, I would be looking at the scripture and the totality of scripture. I don't think I've ever said this to anybody in, in, in any context, but Nothing in life that happens to us is just about us, ever. I believe that's true. And, and, and so I want us to see today the value of, <clears throat> of thinking and praying about deliverance is sometimes if, if deliverance comes earlier than it should, who God wanted to see that seldom sees it. Consequently, they either die without Christ or live in, in, in a defeated place, not understanding the power of God and what he can do for them, what he can do in them. Um, the, the biggest takeaway here is that we are never face-to-face with God and leave the same. Jacob didn't leave the same. He left with a different name and a different drive and a different calling and a different purpose. You struggle with man and, and, and face-to-face and come out alive. 
he says afterward. It's, uh, this, this face-to-face business with God is something that he not only desires and designs, but he makes holy. The, the, the kinds of holy encounters, dads, that we should have with, with the Lord should be a regular part of our routine in life, meaning just as Jacob sent his family and, and all his possessions to the other side of the river, we need, we need to plan for and, and design time alone with him in order to see his hand at work, in order to have a holy encounter. And as we looked at in First Peter a few, a few weeks ago in, in this study of foreigners, once we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we should desire that taste over and over and over again and again and again. We will if we taste and see that the Lord is good. A couple of questions I want to ask as we wrap up. First is this. Dad, if God has something to say to you through a spouse, through other men, through a mentor, are you in a position to hear it? Have you positioned yourself to hear it? If God starts to speak to you through your wife, through, through some other male friends, or through a mentor that God's placed in your world, are you in a position to see it? Or is your life so cluttered that you've got to clear a bunch out of the way to even see it and hear it? Is your life so cluttered that you'll never see it? Our culture is headed in a dangerous direction, all because families are falling apart. And I want to put most of the onus on the fact that families are falling apart on dads. It's, us, it's on us, fathers, to hold families together. And it's on God ultimately to do that. But we're his servants and who he's called to lead and, and to, to make sure that that, that stays together. Uh, second question is this. Is can we count on you? Can God count on you to suit up, to stand up, and to step up to the plate? If God had something to say to a spouse, other man, or a mentor, would you be in a position to hear it? And can we count? Can you be counted on to suit up, to stand up, and to step up to the plate, fellows? It's time. In fact, it's it's way past time for us to stand up. Your family is depending on it. Your culture is depending on it. Folks you work with are depending on it. And it's time that we stand up in, in a culture that's going awry, that's crumbling, where families are intentionally under attack, under redefinition, under reorganization, under, under, under uh, a less and less and less, as time goes on, important and significant role in our society and our culture. It's time to suit up, stand up, and speak up. I want to encourage you, men, to do, to do that today, not just in the context of your family, in the context of peer friends that you have, folks you work with, in context of folks that God's placed in your world and in your life that you never asked to be there, but God's placed them there. And so he, he desires for us to be influences on those folks in our world that he's placed there by his design for his good, for your good and for his glory. Uh, our culture desperately needs fathers with some spine. We just need fathers with some spine who will stand up and, and suit up and stand up and speak up. Now, as we close today, uh, I want to encourage you, men, to be that, to be that at home. I want to encourage you to be that at work. I want to encourage you to be that with other guys, with other friends. I want to encourage you to let that penetrate your hobbies, the things that interest you outside of work and outside of family. I want to encourage you to, to find God in all those places and, and allow him to be through you what he's designed to be and through in every situation. Now, if you're willing to do that, 
I want to ask every father today to stand to your feet as we pray. We want to close this message today by asking God's blessing on our desire to do those things, to suit up, to stand up, to speak up, to step up, and be the kind of man God wants us to be. So, Dad, if, if you're willing to do that, let's stand and pray. Father, today, I pray for courage for every man in this room to be who you've designed him to be. I pray for every father that he is not just a procreator, but an influencer in the lives of his children, an influencer in the lives of his family, in a side-by-side relationship with his spouse, in a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship with other men, in a back-to-back relationship with someone ahead of him on the path, but more importantly, in a face-to-face relationship with you. Do those things in us, cause us to find ourselves in those positions, and when we're there, we're going to be tested, probably tomorrow even. Would we stand the test? Would we be willing to take a stand any place where you show up and give us an opportunity to speak truth into a world of lies, into a world of deception, and make a stand for you that, that says to others, whatever about him is true, he loves his God. Whatever else about him may or may not be important to him, I know his God is. I know his family is. Let those things be said of us, and I pray that the courage spent and, and shared together in this room today and the encouragement that comes from it pours into our lives tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And it's not something that just we put on and take off, but it's in the DNA of who we are and who you have wired men to be. Fathers are important. In fact, in my opinion, probably play the most important role in our culture. And shame on us that have let it go and dropped the ball. Help us to pick it back up again and take it down the field as far as we can before we hand it to those behind us. Do those things in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 